0: Good morning, everyone. How's everybody? It's kind of windy. Kind of over that—the wind and the rain. They said we're supposed to get some more of that. Happy Mother's Day. Wonderful day, isn't it? My mom's here. I get it. It's kind of nice. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, first thing right off the bat, we have some congratulations to James and Charlene who welcomed their first grandbaby this week. So we have we have some pictures. Yay. I know. <laughs> That's Gunner James. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. Ah, Congratulations, you guys. That's great. Mm. Okay. Ah. oh, Quick announcements. Uh, what do we got here? Um, so we, uh, we just had Food Bank. We had, uh, what do you think, about 140? So, yeah, so a little bit down, but um, yeah. It was I tell you, Food Bank has been... Mentally and physically challenging. It seems like we're kind of under attack right now. Um, I, you know, it's it's strange, but um, you know, uh, like the the meat truck didn't show up until like seven o'clock in the morning on, on Saturday, and um, you know, produce boxes and and just a lot of a lot of stress. Um, so first of all, a big thank you to everyone who who helps out and volunteers. Give yourselves a round of applause. Um, it it is a, it's a ton of work and. You guys do it month after month, year after year, and without a lot of thanks, and without complaint. And I was, we had that poverty class a, a week ago, and I was saying this to the the folks then, and it's very, very true. I've been volunteering for for a long time since I was I was right out of high school, and I would say that this one of things that's very unique about our church, and that is when we have meetings, when we have the food bank. It's not a complaint fest, it's not a gripe session, it's not like an HOA meeting. It's a bunch of people who are solidly gathered together with a purpose of of solving problems and working together, and it is so unique and so refreshing, and I just, I I can't thank each and every one of you enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, You guys make it work, and you make it work well, and again, just... Thank you from the bottom of my heart. It it really is unique and refreshing um, to be part of an organization. I know everybody's volunteering. They're giving their time for free, and it's a lot of hard work, and uh, I I cannot thank you enough. So our our next one, I think, is uh, June 11th and 12th will be our our next food bank, and so we get a few weeks off, and then we get to do it again. (laughs) So, um, again, thank you very much. Please make sure if you didn't get a T-shirt um, that, that you get one. Or um, uh, Barb had to, Barb niece had to, to work today. She's she's working extra. But um, let me know um, and we'll we'll get sizes and, and shirts ordered um, for uh, for folks that didn't find a shirt that was in their size. Um, Tuesday evening Bible studies, of course. Um, we are trying to reschedule our, our, our potluck and barbecue. We haven't f- narrowed in on the, the exact date for that yet. Um, but as soon as we have that, we will we'll get that out to everyone. Um, we do have the fifth Sunday on Memorial Weekend. So we'll have the, the kids teaching. And we've got, I don't know if you guys saw the, the Facebook Live this week, but the kids were up here practicing. So cool. Man, they're, they're so good. Um, so uh, be ready for that. Um, remember the, the tear-off tab on the, the back of your, your bulletins. You actually have bulletins? I know, much better than last week. Man, you could <laughs> skip last week and just come this week. But um, just, yeah, prayer requests, anything, um, please uh, um, tear that guy off and, and put that at the in the offering box at the back of the church. Um, and again, please remember the library. Uh, we have quite a few wonderful books back there. Um, it was there's actually quite a bit of stuff from, like, the Alpha Omega Center. There's um, great Bible studies. There's a lot of stuff in the library. If there's a topic that you're fascinated in, we were listening, uh, Ryder and I were listening to a podcast earlier this week, and um, the guy that was on there um, was was a young Earther. He was talking about why he um, believes in a young Earth, and it kind of got Ryder talking about it, um, and uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with everything the guy said, but it's a good point of conversation. Um, and a good point of, of research to go, hey, why does somebody think way differently than I do? Why does someone hold a completely different philosophy about things than, than I do? And that we have resources here available for free to go and, and study those things. So don't be afraid to, uh, to jump back there and find something. Speaking of Ryder, he is our, our, our joke contest submitter for this week. Um, he, he has the, the, the grossest joke book. And this week, it was his duty to assail me with all of these jokes, and so now it is your turn. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> so there's three. They're, they're quick. They're right in a row. So what's dumb? Directions on toilet paper. What's dumber than that? Reading them. What's dumber than that? Reading them and learning something. <laughs> and finally, what's dumber than that? Reading them and having to correct something you've been doing wrong. There you go. So, (laughs) that was my week. (laughs) Heavenly Father, thank you for laughter. Thank you for beautiful babies. Thank you for our moms. Father, thank you for the many blessings that you have given us. Thank you for safe travels and for sports and track meets and friends and family and, and gathering together and wonderful things that you have given us. Father, we have your word open in front of us. We're going to jump in here. Please open your heart and your mind to us. Please turn your face toward us that we could learn something, that we could come away with a better understanding of you, that we could see you more clearly. We ask all of that in the word that is your son, Jesus Christ, who spoke this place into being. Amen. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but moms are wildly different from dads. Like, they notice when when they have holes in in their pants and don't send them to school that way. Dads don't always catch that. They know what the kids wore yesterday and know if it's clean or if it's dirty. They know if hair has been combed and teeth have been brushed. And They actually know what size clothing the children wear, pretty much at, at all times. Something that I don't ever know. They know what kind of foods you like and don't like, and they, they actually care enough not to make it <laughs> instead of just yelling at you saying, just eat what's on your plate. But, and the reason why I love this video is that moms, and we're, we're going to talk quite a bit about Mary today, but they show a side of God that we don't often talk about. And I would say that the mother side, the female side of God, is something that we do desperately need displayed in our world today. That loving side, that protecting side, that understanding side, that intimate side is something that the world needs. And each one of you ladies displays that in such amazing ways. And thank you. So we're in John chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It's where uh, Jesus changes water into wine. So it says, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And his disciples believed in him. And after this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. So we'll start off with, uh, with the history, the practical history of this miracle. It's the first miracle um, that Jesus performed in his, in his public ministry. It's only recorded here in the, in the book of, um, of John. Where they are, we have a, a map to put up. So it says they are uh, at Cana in, in the province of Galilee. So it's north of Nazareth, and there's, there's some conflict about exactly where this is. There's a, um, two different places, um, but they're both north of, of Nazareth. Um, so if you look here on the map, I'll come back up here. It's hard to see, but um, you can see Nazareth down there at the very bottom, and then you see the, the Kafir Kana, which is, it's marked Kana on this map, but, and then there's one above that, that's the Kerbet Kana. Both of those are places that different commentaries will say they, they think is the, the Kana that they're talking about um, here, but we don't really know for sure. Both of those are ruins today, but the important about that, when we look at that map, is to know that you could go there, that this is a real place. This isn't like, uh, you know, going to, uh, you know, it was Star Wars Day. I don't know if you guys knew that, but you know this isn't like going to a, a galaxy far, far away sometime long, long ago. It was about 2,000 years ago in a real place in Israel, and you could go walk those ruins today if you wanted to go over there to Israel. It says it was three days Um, And, again, there's some speculation about this. Uh, A lot of people think, well, that was the third day of the wedding celebration. At this time, wedding feasts could last for up to a week uh, in in tradition. Um, So there's some people that say, well, what he means when he says the third day, he means the third day of the celebration. Um, Other folks will say, no, what he means is that this is right after the calling of Philip and Nathanael. If you flip back one chapter to keep this in context, that's when, uh, when it says John's disciples follow Jesus. It says, The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, "'Look, the Lamb of God.' When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, "'What do you want?' And they said, "'Rabbi,' which means teacher, "'Where are you staying?' "'Come,' he replied, "'and you will see.' So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus." The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Kephas, which, when translated, is Peter. Then the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, Philip said. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to them, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then it goes right in and says, On the third day. So if we take that in context, I mean, this doesn't make or break anything, it would probably just mean that it was in, like the Wednesday of that week. It was within that week. It was just a quick turnaround. Talk a little bit about, about wedding custom. I mentioned it briefly. But it's very different. I mean, sort of different than what we do now. So, a lot of times we talk about arranged marriages, and in a sense, these are arranged marriages in that the two families would have, get together and have a conversation about their kids getting married. Most of these kids would be somewhere between you know, 14 and 18, 15 and 18 would have been the, the common marrying age. It's exceptional, we don't talk about it much, that, that Jesus at 30 is not married and doesn't have a family. At that point in, in this time, most of his life would have been over. Um, the life expectancy would have been you know, 40 to 50. Um, So at this point, for him to not have a family would have been exceptional. So think about, you know, these two families would get together and, you know, sometimes the the parents would say, hey, I think our kids would be a good match. And then I'm sure there are times when, you know, I might be at a track meet and you might see your son standing next to a a girl from Junction and talking together. And uh, then suddenly they might be standing close together and maybe walking together. And then they might have to have a conversation with a, a set of parents about some things. Or maybe there's a lingering pause at a festival or some dancing. But they would get together and they would have a conversation about marriage, probably first with their kids and then with the parents and then all together. And if they came to an arrangement, that would start what they call the betrothal. We don't do this in our, in our culture, but at that point once they made that arrangement, once they made the agreement, once the contract was done, they're considered married. To separate that betrothal, you'd actually have to have a divorce. So that's why when, uh, when Mary gets spoken to by the angel and she says, hey, I'm pregnant, and she, it says in there that she is betrothed to Joseph, that's what they're talking about. They haven't started living together. They haven't had the wedding ceremony yet, but they are betrothed. So for Joseph to have separated from Mary, they would have had to have had a divorce what would happen is the son would begin adding on a room to their house. They would go to the father's house, and he would start building a room, a place for them to live as a, as a new family. And then once that room was finished, and that was decided by the father of the groom, the father of the groom one day would, would tell the son, yeah, you've, you've done it, it's finished, and now we can start having the wedding ceremony. And that's when they would do that. They would plan together to have the ceremony, and it would start... A lot. This sounds a lot more familiar to us, where the groom and his attendants, his friends and family, would go to the bride's house and so get the bride and her attendants, whoever was with her, she would be dressed, and then they would go to the groom's house where they would have this celebration. And it like I say, would last for a few days or maybe for a week, and then it would end with the wedding ceremony when they would actually get up and, and say the words and, and be married. So, like I say, it, it's not really here or there, But it does give us a little bit of a feel, a little bit of the flavor for what's going on. This might be, I say, the third day of this wedding festival, which kind of makes sense since they're running out of wine and maybe they're only halfway through um, the, the, the ceremony. Or like I say, it could be just have happened quickly within the same week. Either way, we can make some assumptions and these are just assumptions. The first assumption we can make is that this is someone that is fairly close to Jesus and his family. We can make that assumption because Mary is not only there attending the wedding. They use it, John uses a different term for her attendance than she does for Jesus and the disciples. Means implies that she was there helping out. And all of us that have had you know our aunts come and help us with our weddings and make the mints and help with the centerpieces and, and all of that, they come and they help out. They help make things happen. And that appears to be Mary's role, that she's not just in attendance, that she's actually helping make this thing happen. And that's how she knows that they're running out of wine. Generally, hosts don't stand up in front of their guests and go, um, we're out of food, we're out of drink, help. They don't do that. It's embarrassing. So she knows that this problem has happened, and she's trying to help the family deal with that. The other thing is that we can say that, um, you know, Jesus was invited. and He brings the, uh, the disciples with him. But that word, like I say, it denotes a different function than, than what, uh, what Mary's function is at the, at the wedding, it's also fun to note, you don't need to know this, but notice that John doesn't call her Mary, calls her the mother of Jesus. He uses those terms throughout his book. John's, his terminology is, is absolutely beautiful. And it's possible, and we can speculate, that at this point that Joseph has died. Um, the last time we we read about Joseph is actually in Luke chapter two, verses forty-one through fifty-two. We won't we won't read them, but that's when when Jesus gets you know he stays behind at the temple. They go to Jerusalem for the Passover, and he decides to stay over. And then he's lost for a few days, and then his parents find him at the temple teaching, and everyone's amazed at at his teaching. That's the last time that Joseph is mentioned in the in the scripture, and we can speculate that um, like I said that. that joseph has died at this point but certainly there's a point in the ministry where mary starts traveling with jesus where jesus is fully taking care of his mother and we can be pretty confident that joseph has passed away by from that point and then certainly on the cross when jesus turns to, to john the disciple whom jesus loved and says, this is your mother and asks her to take care asked him to take care of, of his mom And after Luke 2, Mary is mentioned either with Jesus' brothers and sisters or with Jesus and the disciples, and Joseph is not mentioned at all. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58, there's a list of Jesus' brothers. His sisters are not ever listed, but his brothers are, and that's where we get their names, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas. um, And that's in Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 through 58. So that's it, that's our, that's our setting, that's our history. that's our geography for our, our, our passage for today. So here we have. we have Mary who is helping host this wedding. We have Jesus and the first disciples. they're in attendance also. And they have run out of wine, and the wedding ceremony, the actual ceremony, hasn't even happened yet. And we can say pretty confidently that this is, you, know, the same um, as a bad event at a, a wedding today. It will stick with this couple. Forever, It will stick with the family forever, for the rest of their lives. All of their friends and family are there. And the whispers and the shame of running out of wine will stick with them. You remember that wedding? You remember how they ran out of wine? You remember how bad the food was? You remember how bad the band was? You remember what they wore? Those kinds of things stick with families for a long, long time. I always thought that his father was a good businessman, but clearly not. I thought they knew how to plan a wedding. Clearly not. I knew they were getting in over their heads. I knew that family was no good. Again, this is the first public miracle of J- Jesus' ministry. And it is only recorded in the book of John. John records eight miracles in his gospel, but he does so with a purpose. We've recapped this the last couple of times, but John tells us the purpose, why he put these eight miracles in. If we go to John chapter 20, verse 31, it's in your bulletins, but it says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's why this miracle is written down. That's our angle. When we look at this miracle today, That's what we're angling for, is that we would see this miracle, that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing that we would have life in his name. And remember, knowing that Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God is good. But even demons recognize Jesus for who he is. Even they acknowledge his power and authority. It's the faith and the love that turns our hearts. And the fruit, the evidence of our salvation lies in the actions of a changed heart. Sorry about you guys, but whenever I read this miracle, there's a couple of things that stick in my teeth that just bug the heck out of me. First, why did Mary ask Jesus to help? Does he like normally make water into wine? I mean, is that something he's done before? Does he normally carry around several gallons of wine? Somewhere in there, Mary believed that Jesus could help this family. And we don't get a clear answer to this question. Next thing that sticks in my teeth is how Jesus responds to his mom. He doesn't say, Mom, not now. He doesn't say, Mom, what do you want me to do? He turns to where he says, Woman. He Formalizes. It's not impolite. It's not rude. It can come across that way, but it's not rude. It's just very formal. But then... After all that, he still goes and he fixes the problem. Sticks in my teeth a little bit. So we're going to chew on this quite a bit. It says, now like I said, we don't get a lot of clear answers to some of these questions, but we can dig in a little bit about what Mary knows about Jesus. Because Mary knows that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Son of God. And Jesus also, her oldest son, she is the one that, he, that she should lean on in the absence of Joseph. So we know those things. If we go to, to Luke chapter one, verse 26 through 38, that's when uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to, to Galilee. And it says, you know, um, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. And how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Listen to her response. We're going to flag this. It says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Go to Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 18. We read this last week, but if we go to the to the very end, it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all of these things and pondered them in her heart. Remember, that's after the shepherds have, have come to her and have told her about the angels appearing in the sky and proclaiming Hosanna to the highest. And they, they go into Bethlehem and they find the baby. Go to 20, Luke twenty-five, uh, through Luke 2, 25 to 35. This is uh, Simeon and Anna. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, this child is destined to cause the failing and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. So was she asking a question? Was she asking a prayer to God? We know that Jesus received prayer. Was this a desperation, a, a hopelessness as a mom and a woman talking to her safe place, her son? You know, that, they're out of wine, what do we do? Just having a conference, not really meaning for him to, to solve the problem, but just wanting to talk about it. Did she know that Jesus had the power to help? Was she directly asking Jesus to intervene in this instance? Was she asking Jesus to reveal himself as the Messiah, was she asking, kick-starting this public ministry? We don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But we do know John's purpose, why he wrote down this miracle. It is to convince us that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and that we would believe in him. So if we go to John chapter 3, verse 2, we're just going to flesh out this idea. It says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. How do we know that? For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. These signs are evidence that God is with him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 5. Jesus and John the Baptist, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Are you the Messiah? And Jesus replied, this is important, Go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Miracles are the evidence. Acts 2.22. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Those miracles performed and recorded serve the purpose of giving concrete evidence to who Jesus is. If we were to turn back in your Bibles to, to Exodus chapter 8, it's the, the 10 plagues of Egypt. Remember, there's this back and forth between Pharaoh and, and he's got his guys that can do the, the snakes and all that stuff and, and then you've got Aaron and Moses coming up and they're proclaiming God. And, you know, they take the staff and they throw it on the ground. It turns into a stake. The, the pharaoh's guys do the exact same thing. And then the plagues start happening. So there's the first one, you know, where the river turns to blood and then frogs cover everything and then gnats cover everything and then flies cover everything. And then everybody gets sick. They get boils. And then hail comes and destroys the crops. And then the locusts come and destroy everything that's left. And then darkness comes. A darkness you can touch. And then it ends with, with the Passover, with the killing of the firstborn. But... That plague of gnats in Exodus chapter 8, verse 19. See, there comes a point where those guys that, that stood there and, and threw their, grounds, their sticks on the ground and made them turn into snakes, where they're forced to acknowledge God. And that's exactly what they say after this plague of gnats. The magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And it says, But Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. These miracles, these signs, they serve a purpose. They reveal the glory and the purpose of God. The question is, has it changed you? Or are we more like Pharaoh, where our hearts are hard, where even in the face of the evidence, that we are unchanged, that we are unwilling to see and unwilling to, to accept? But the first thing that happens, though, before this miracle, before the water's changed into wine, is a change in relationship. Jesus turns to his mom and says, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. He's not being rude or impolite. It's like saying, Mrs. or ma'am. But it's still stiff and formal. Not the warm return of a son to his mom. And it's a detachment. It's a movement from son of Mary and Joseph, to son of God. There's another very similar passage where Jesus does this. He detaches himself from his human family. If you go to Matthew chapter 12, 46 through 50, it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. And someone told him, it says, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's detached from there. See, Jesus is brother to all, and he is Savior to all, and he is family to everyone who calls his name. Another thing that's important to notice is that Mary does not hold any special power or influence over Jesus. You know, it's one of those things where you might be tempted to worship Mary. You might be tempted to take Mary and put her on a pedestal or build statues to her or say prayers to her because she is the mother of Jesus. But, and really make no mistake that Mary is an exceptional person. And she her example of faith and obedience is something that we should all strive for. I, 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 it's still... It, a 15 you know, years old, young lady, maybe 16, I don't know, but here she is, the, the, an angel appears to her and says, you're going to be the mother of, of, of the Messiah. And her response isn't to go running and screaming. Her response isn't to, to go run away or get angry or be sad. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Ask my mom, she's here today, how I was at 14, 15 years old. I can assure you that would not have been my response to anyone, let alone an angel from God. I couldn't even manage to do my homework. I couldn't manage to get out of bed on time, let alone say, I am the Lord's servant. She is not to be worshipped, but we should marvel at her faith. She is not an intercessor who holds power over Jesus because she is his mom. And again, Jesus does not play favorites. He meant what he said when he says, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven Is my brother and sister and mother. And again, Mary marvel at her. She accepts this. There's no argument. There's no back and forth. There's no nasty whispering, no look of horror, no yelling. And remember, Jesus is 30 at this point. He's, he's long past the age where he would have been married and on his own. But I was thinking about this at from where I am right now, it kind of speaks to me because my kids are, are getting to that point where they're, they're separating a little bit, where they're becoming self-sufficient. And I spent so much time, so much time looking after every single detail of their lives, up and at them, hair and teeth, dressed in breakfast, lunch and mask and water bottle, backpack, homework, permission slips. And then... Suddenly they're up and ready to go before you you even ask. Their hair is combed and their teeth are brushed and they remember to wear their retainers. I never remember to wear my retainer. Their beds are made and their floors are picked up and I didn't even ask. They roll their eyes at me when I ask about homework or, or laundry because they've already done it. They take care of the dogs without asking. They take care of the dishes. They ride in the car for hours on end without complaint. Suddenly where a little boy stood now stands a young man who is more and more ready to take the world on his own. And say that spoke to me because it's relevant to me in my life, right where I am, that there comes a point where I have to let go. I won't really ever let them go, but I do have to let them go sink or swim. And Jesus separates here. No longer a son, but now a man. Not just a man, but the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Mary knew this day was coming. And she had treasured every single word from the angel and Elizabeth and Joseph and Simeon and Anna, the shepherds. And Mary sets an example as a mom on Mother's Day. She sets an example as a faithful and obedient servant of God. See, because there are times where God says no, where he says wait to our prayers. And Mary gives us an example of how to respond when God doesn't say yes, when he doesn't do what we're asking him to do. She responds in faith and obedience. She's also smart enough to realize he didn't say no. (laughs) She turns to the servants, and more than likely, the terminology there isn't like a bond servant. The terminology is meaning somebody that's volunteering to, to wait at, at, the, at the festival. So more than likely, they're friends and family, you know cousins and the like who have volunteered to, to help out at the, the wedding. And she tells them to obey Jesus, to do whatever he says. And it becomes one of those fiery furnace faith moments. God could choose to act, he could choose to save the day, or he could choose not to. Mary has faith that no matter what, it will turn out for the good. And it doesn't tell us what her spirit was like, if that was obedience or faith or confidence. But clearly, Mary knows that the best outcome is for them to obey Jesus. She's not at all like me. She doesn't try and do it on her own. I would have been jumping in the truck and and running for something, running to a house, running to a store. I would have been calling people. I would have been trying to rally the troops or or fret or fuss. Instead, she just tells the service to obey Jesus. Just do what he tells you. If he sends you in a cart, go in a cart. If he sends you to a house, go to a house. If he tells you just to get back to work, just get back to work. And if ever there was a practical piece of advice given in Scripture, this is it. Whatever Jesus says to do, do it. And what does he say to do? He says, love God. Don't put other gods before me. Don't have idols. Don't take God's name in vain or for your own purposes. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Love everyone as your brother, as you love yourself. Honor your father and mother. Don't murder people. Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't steal. Don't lie, especially in court. And don't covet or lust after a thing. There's a whole thing we're not going to get into because we don't have time, but there's a whole creation side to this miracle. But one of the things about this miracle that it should do for us is remind us how much stuff in this world does not matter, how it is really just Plato in the hands of the Creator, how He can at will do whatever He wishes with this place. All of the things that we build up as so important Without a word, without even touching, he changes. Without even speaking, he can change this world. Everything that we see from our buildings to our bodies, we put so much money and so much effort into them. Clothing and jewelry and cars. And all of it is destined for the scrap heap. We worry about inflation and housing prices and lumber prices and... Those things matter because we are called to be good stewards of the gifts that we have been given by God. But in the long run, all of those toys are going back into the box. God will remake the earth. It's not like he's going to build a monument to the stuff that we managed to keep our whole lives. It's all going away. Billions of dollars, they don't matter. Boats and mansions and fancy clothes, fancy shoes, they don't matter. We should focus on the eternal. There are two eternal things that we are constantly in contact with in our world. Two things that are not going to fade. Two things that are not going away. One of them is God and one of them is the people around you. It's funny it's, I wonder if those are in the commandments at all. He tells us to value the things that are eternal and those are the things that are eternal in our world. God and the souls around us. The rest of it it's just Plato. It's It's all going back in the box. And he, Jesus says, he says, what does matter? Focus on the eternal, not the temporary. Take care of widows and orphans. Take care of prisoners. Take care of the poor. Spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus coming into the world. And don't just talk about it. Do it. The commands of Jesus are not something to only sit around and have a conversation about. It's fun to debate scripture. It's fun to chew on and discuss issues and ideas, but it's all rather pointless without action. The servants are told by Mary to obey Jesus. They listen and then they go and they do what he says. He tells them to go and get the ceremonial stone jars, and normally these jars are the jars that they would have stored the the ritually clean water for washing. In between meals like you would you would come in they would have the little basins you would wash your hands and your face and your feet before eating and these would be ritually clean wa- you know without doing that as a jew you weren't allowed to to eat you weren't considered ceremonially clean but these are the the stone jars that they would use for that they had clay jars but clay jars they didn't consider to to keep things ceremonially clean so these would have been carved out of out of stone and thinking about the, the volume, John tells us that they're 20 to 30 gallons apiece at 8.33 pounds per gallon. We're talking 160 to 240 pounds of water each, and that's without the weight of the stone jars. And Jesus tells them to fill the jars, and we don't know if they were empty or if they were partially empty or if they dumped them out and then they refilled them. We don't know. But we do know that they filled them to the brim with fresh, clean water. That gets rid of an argument that Jesus simply took a a little bit of good wine, maybe one or two gallons per jar, and mixed it with the water to serve. That detail of the jars being full to the brim, it removes the idea of adding something to the jars to make the wine. And also, it's the servants who fetch the water, not Jesus or the disciples. There's no accusation of a bait-and-switch or some kind of trick They didn't steal 200 gallons of wine, hide it around the corner, pretend to go fill the jars, but secretly fill them with wine. That did not happen. Jesus never touched the jars. Never. There's no ritual. There's no magic. We watched Dr. Strange last night, you know, little symbols and sparks flying everywhere. Man, I wish that there was some kind of a magic spell book or some kind of magic words or a wand or something. But this power is not available or attainable by man. We need to realize that even if we had the stone jars, even if we had the spell book and all the ingredients, no matter what, we could not do what Jesus did. Like in Exodus, we have no choice but to acknowledge that this is the finger of God. They take a ladle full of wine to the, to the wedding planner, to the, the head waiter, someone in the family who was coordinating the celebration. They were responsible for tasting the food and the wine, making sure the glasses and the plates were full, the music was playing, the decorations were just so, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You guys ever see the movie Father of the Bride? It's got Bronson Pinchot as the, as the wedding planner. He's, you know, in his suit. He's, oh, yes, it's going to be wonderful. We're going to have the doves over here and the waterfall, <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it is Martin Short, you're right. <laughs> yes. Or uh, did you guys watch Crazy Rich Asians? They, they came out not too long ago. The wedding at the end of that movie is amazing. They've got this whole thing turned into a you know, a, a rainforest, and then water comes down the aisle as the broad bride walks down. There's floating flowers. It's that kind of, no? I know, I've never seen a wedding like that either. But this is the person who would be responsible for that. And he says, it is the best wine. He goes to get the groom and he's like, wow, man, most people, they would wait and they would serve the good stuff first while everybody's sober. And then as their their taste buds have have gone south, as they've gotten a little bit more into the sauce, we, we serve them the cheap stuff. But you have saved the best for last. What could have been their shame and their embarrassment, what could have been a lifelong moment of whispers behind their back and rumors and and a bad start to their relationship instead becomes a moment of celebration. Jesus takes what could have been a horrible thing for them and turns it into a wonderful thing for them. And not only do they have enough wine for the rest of the celebration, but they probably have enough as a a nice gift to take back to their house. So we're moving to to our conclusion. We need to remember the point of this miracle. The point of this is that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, and that you would believe that he is the Messiah, and that by believing that you would have life in his name. So why didn't the servants fall down in that moment and worship God? Why didn't the groom? Why didn't the head waiter? Why didn't everybody who knew what was going on behind the scenes Why didn't they immediately turn and worship God? Why didn't they repent right then and there? Why didn't this turn into a massive worship fest with baptisms going on? Why? In the face of this miracle, in the face of what just happened, with Mary standing right there, with Jesus right there, with the disciples right there, knowing who Jesus is, they've been baptized by John the Baptist. They know Jesus is the Messiah. They have the words of the gospel in their hearts. They're all right there. Mary could testify directly that an angel spoke to her, that he was blessed by Simeon, blessed by Anna, that he was prophesied about. This miracle, they saw it, they touched it, they drank the wine. And yet, like Pharaoh, their their hearts were hard in the face of that miracle, in the face of that, happening right in front of them, drinking it themselves they still were not changed. That's tough, isn't it? To know that in the face of these miracles, we can still remain unchanged. That in the face of the wonderful things that God does, that we can still keep our hearts hard. If you go to Barnes & Noble, or go on Amazon, or go into Target, or any of the stores that sell books, each and every single one of them has an entire rack in their, their shelves dedicated to one thing, self-help, to changing, to getting on a diet, to learning how to be successful, to be skinnier and healthier and younger-looking and sexier and desirable and successful and likable. Seven steps for this, 12 steps for that. Paleo, keto, paleo, vegan, South Beach... Right? What about all of the places around here? There's an entire multi-billion dollar industries that are dedicated to helping you change. Think about 24-hour fitness and gold's gym and curves and Pilates and CrossFit and Peloton and Nordic track. All of these places that are dedicated to one thing, to helping you change. And yet, if you walk around this room, and you talk to people about what the gospel has done in their lives, what the message of Christ has done in their lives, how it has taken them from being a lost sinner to being someone who was found, to that miracle of transformation that has happened in each and every one of their lives, would it convince you? Would it convince you that in the face of that miracle, that you have seen the Messiah, that you have the proof, in this thing that everyone is striving to do, that they have done it, that they have managed to change in the most fundamental way in their hearts, that they have repented of a life of sin, that they're striving for goodness, that they have started to live second, that they have put themselves second in a world that does me first constantly. In the face of meeting someone like that, whose own life has been changed, that has been touched by Christ, in the miracle of that, of an individual life changed is that enough is that enough seeing for you to believe can you drink of the wine that is their testimony and know that he is the messiah that know that he is the son of god and believe and then is it enough can you do what jesus says that's, all she's, that's Mary's greatest advice. Can you take her words to heart? Just do what Jesus says. Whatever he says, just do it. Yeah? Let's uh, close in prayer. Father, we are so thankful. We are thankful for Mary. She sets such a, a high bar. Father, we can look on her and how she lived her life and her words and strive to have the quiet faith that she demonstrated to us. Thank you for our moms. Thank you for all of the love and the care and the protection and the strength and the perseverance and all of the many wonderful things that they give us. They take the hurt that we dish out over and over and over again and they return nothing but love. They work so hard and they strive. They strive so hard to make everyone else's lives better while doing without themselves. They set such a wonderful example for us as to how to actually do what you say that we should do. Thank you. Father, we have this week coming up and we seek to be closer to you, to do things that are pleasing to you, to be about your business, that when you look down on our our town, when you look down on our church, when you look down on our lives, that you would be pleased. So Father, we're asking for that. We're asking for strength. We're asking for resources. We're asking for your heart and your mind that we would be able to help someone this week. We ask all of that in the loving name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's go fellowship. Let's go do that.